singing, great playing. Please turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. There's only one Savior who can deliver sinners from the wrath of God. A lot of people don't believe there's uh, an angry God up in heaven, but he is. He's highly offended at every sinner. He's angry with sinners every day. And there's only one way to escape that wrath that's coming. Jesus told us uh, throughout the Bible there's, there's this warning that there's only one way. And you know that makes you, that, that's the one thing that makes Christians the most unpopular. That you say there's only one way of getting to heaven. If you would just agree with the rest of the world and say that all religions are good and that they all lead to heaven, we just use different names and have different ceremonies, you'd be so popular and fit right in. Everybody would love you and wouldn't have any problem with you. But when you say, no, Christ is the only way, you're hated. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. John 14, 6. And Peter said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4, 12. So men have tried to get right with God by many different means, but they failed because they rejected the only means of salvation. Jesus. Faith in Jesus is the only way to be right with God. So today, as we participate in the Lord's Supper, that's one of the things we're remembering. There was no other way. If it wasn't Jesus Christ and his substitutionary atonement and his love for sinners, there could be no salvation. So this helps us to remember this reminder of the Lord's Supper helps us to remember, remember that everything we need to be accepted by God is not found in us. It's found in Jesus. He's the perfect Savior for sinners. So if you're in Colossians 2, look at, uh, look at verse 9. Paul says, For in him... And he had just referred to Christ. For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So remember Paul is writing to Christians in Coloss who are being pressured by false teachers to believe in a different Jesus than the Bible reveals. And the false teachers said that Jesus was just a man. He wasn't God. That was their teaching, and he was just one of many ways to get to God. And so Paul's trying to make sure that the Colossians are grounded in the truth so they hold on to the biblical Jesus and not some other Jesus. You know, it's easy to tell somebody, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. Many of you have done that. That, That's great. But what Jesus are they thinking of? You have to know something about the person you're talking to 
Do they, are they familiar with the biblical Jesus? Or is it a Jesus they just thought of in their mind? They've seen a movie. They've heard something from somebody else. There is no salvation unless a person knows the Jesus who is revealed in the Scripture. And they believe in that Jesus. I wonder how many are going around saying, I believe in Jesus. Have very little knowledge of what the Bible says about Jesus. In verse 9 it says, In him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, all the divine nature of God is in Jesus. Not part of God is in Jesus, but everything that God is, Jesus is. Jesus is 100% God. He's fully deity. Jesus is not only God, but he has every attribute of God. Omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, and every other attribute is in Jesus. He's equal to God. He just has a human body, which the Father and the Spirit do not have human bodies. But Jesus came down. He has a human body, but he's still the same as the Father and the Spirit in attributes glory, all those. The divine took on a human nature and dwelt among men. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. Jesus was not less than God, as the false teachers claimed, or just another step to God. Jesus was God in every sense. 100% divine nature combined with a true human nature. You know what the false teachers taught? This is like a a mix of and um, legalism wrapped up in this Colossian heresy. The false teachers taught that matter was evil and the spirit was good. So they said Jesus could not be God. Because he had a human body. And that was material. And they said material was evil. God is a spirit and and only spiritual things are good. That's a lie. Whatever God made is good. And he made us to have physical bodies and they're good. It's just that we sin in our physical bodies. That's not good. So the false teachers are trying to get the Christians to believe that this could not be God. Jesus could not be God. He can be used of God as a physical person, but he can't be God because he's actually a physical body. And that's evil. So what Paul is telling the Colossians is that if Jesus is not the fullness of God in bodily form, there can be no salvation. He's saying when, when Jesus was on earth and people looked at him, They looked at the fullness of God in a body. And you know, Jesus had to take on a human body. If we're going to be saved, he had to take on a human body because God requires that every person made in his image, all human beings, are required to live a perfect life. And we couldn't do that. So Jesus came down 
not just to be our substitute on the cross and die in our place, he came to live in our place because God requires a perfect life. So he needed that body to take on a human nature so he could be just like us, except for sin, and live the perfect life in our place so God could say, okay, I accept your sacrifice. You did everything perfectly. Perfect law-keeping is what God requires. We couldn't do it. So Jesus incarnated, lived a sinless life. There's no one else, no one else in the world who was fit or qualified to save sinners. It was only Jesus. So when we partake of the Lord's Supper today, we're thinking about that bread that represents his body and that he actually came down from heaven to become a human being as part of the the necessity in God's view to give us a full salvation. He had to take on human nature so he could live a sinless life that we couldn't live. In verse 14, Colossians 2.14, Paul says, referring to Jesus, blotting out the certificate of debt that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. This is why sinners need Jesus as their Savior, because every person has broken God's laws And when you break God's laws, you incur a debt. You owe God something. We are all debtors to God because of our sin. So this this term, certificate of debt, was used back in the day, and it refers to a certificate of indebtedness that was handwritten by the person who was in debt to acknowledge that he had that debt and that he had to pay it. So in verse 14, the certificate of debt, it says, was against us. It was a record of judgments against us. So I want you to, hopefully that sticks in everybody's mind. The certificate of debt was a record of judgments against us. Those judgments were hostile to us. They were contrary to us. It endangered us because that certificate of debt was all the laws we broke that were recorded. We broke God's law and it condemned us as guilty. Every single person is guilty before God because we all broke the law. And we are indebted to God. We owe him something that we can't pay off. The debt is not payable by human effort. No matter how hard you try, you cannot pay off your sin debt. It's nice if you try hard to be good. It's nice if you don't curse. It's nice if you don't get drunk. All those things are good for society. But God is not impressed with that. 
Galatians 3.10 says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things written in the book of the law to do them. So everybody who was born into this world is cursed unless they keep the law perfectly. That's what Galatians 3.10 is saying. Cursed is everyone who doesn't do everything that's written in the book of the law. So if, if you're planning on meriting salvation, you have to keep God's law perfectly every moment, every day that you're on earth. You can't stumble once. You say, well, that's, that's pretty strict. Have you talked to people and, and, and told them God requires perfection? And they go, well, nobody's perfect. Exactly, that's my point. God requires perfection. You can't be perfect, but he sent his son who is perfect and kept the law perfectly. If you believe in him, you're perfect. Or else you're cursed because you have to keep the law. The death penalty is required by God. He says in Ezekiel 18.20, the soul that sinneth shall die. The death sentence is on every person. So Jesus came, and it says in verse 14, he blotted out those certificates of death that was against us and hostile to us. He erased it, or he deleted it. He blotted it out. It's like taking a, an eraser and just erasing everything. On those whiteboards, just taking a cloth and wiping off the ink. He blotted it out. That certificate for all whom he came to redeem, he just wiped them clean. The record's clean. How did he do this? He did not wave a wand over everybody and say, I just I forgive everybody. That's what Allah does. He forgives by just decreeing a forgiveness. God says there can be no forgiveness unless there's shedding of blood. There has to be a payment. And it can't be your good works that pays. It has to be the works of a perfect person that pays for your sin debt. So here's how he did it. Verse 14, right at the end. He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That's it. When Jesus was crucified, he took all the certificates of debt of all the people God gave him to redeem. That's all the elect. Chosen before the foundation of the world. In Christ. Jesus took all those certificates of debt. All the sins. And he said to his father, you won't find this in the scripture. This is my version. Jesus said to his father, let their debt be my debt, father. I will stand in their place and be liable for all that they owe you, Father. I will pay for them. It's basically what the Scripture teaches. I just put a little scenario in there. Jesus loved you so much, he said, I will take your debt and pay it off. Wouldn't you like it if somebody came by and said, uh, how much is your mortgage? I still got 350000 left. I'll pay it. Would you love that person? Yeah, I'd be following him around for a long time. How much more when Jesus says, I will pay your debt? You believe that I did what you couldn't do? 
I pay your debt. It's all been done. Every sin we would ever commit, paid that certificate off. It's gone. He became sin for us. And this verse, everybody should have it memorized, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You should memorize that. You should quote it to yourself frequently and, in, and understand what it means that Jesus was a perfect, sinless Lamb of God. He never sinned. But God took all those sins on that certificate, all the broken laws, and He took them and He put them on the record of Jesus. Because Jesus had a record, right? And that record was perfect. He kept all the laws. He never sinned once, and so he had a perfect record of righteousness. And on top of that record, God put all our sins. It's called imputation. It means it's put on your account. It's an accounting term. It's credited to your account. Well, God took all our sins. He imputed them to Jesus put on his account, all the certificates of debt, and then punished his own son in our place. Jesus was innocent. He had never committed any sins. And yet all those certificates of debt, he took them, put them on Jesus' account, and said, and then looked at his record with all those sins on him, and treated his own son as if he had committed those sins, which he did not. We committed them, but he was willing to pay for those sins. All our sins to the cross. Amen. They were nailed there. Not one sin in your life was overlooked or forgotten or fell through the crack. They were all placed on Jesus. God hath laid on him, Isaiah said, the iniquity of us all. Jesus bore in his body on that cross, the great debt we all owed God for our sins. Nobody else in the world could pay. He paid. The innocent Savior paid that eternal debt. Have you ever had anybody ask you why, when you sin against God, do you have to go to hell for eternity? Couldn't it just be for the 60 years that I sinned, or the 70, or the 80? God says no. I'm eternal. You've sinned against the eternal God, therefore the penalty is eternal death. Do you know what happens to believers? When they believe in Jesus, they go to heaven, not just for 60 years or 70 years, but for eternity. Because either way, it's eternity. We're born into this world. We're made in the image of God. So we have eternal souls. And when you die... If you're a believer, you spend eternity with the Lord Jesus. If you're not a believer, you spend eternity in hell because God's eternal and you've sinned against the eternal God. Your penalty is eternal. But not only that, listen to this. When you die in your sins, you're not a believer. You go to hell. You're going to continue sinning against God when you're in hell. 
You're going to gnash your teeth at him. You're going to blaspheme him. You're going to curse him. Because you still don't think it's fair that you went to hell. You're going to still think highly of yourself. That means you're going to continue to sin against God and He'll have to punish you for all eternity and never get out of your sin. So if anybody asks you, why is, it, why is hell eternal? Because when you go there, you continue to sin against God. He continues to punish you. And there's no repentance once you die. Jesus took our eternal hell that we would have had to spend forever and ever trying to pay off our sins and never be able to He took that in a few moments on the cross when God punished him. When he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God had turned away from his own beloved son as he was becoming sin for us. He never sinned, but it was as if he was a sinner and God was turning his back on sinners just like he will. For those who die in unbelief, he will turn their back on them. There'll be no mercy, there'll be no grace for those in hell. There was no mercy, there was no grace for the Lord Jesus Christ when he was becoming sin for us. That's what we want to remember today. When those elements go around, God turned his back on Jesus so he would never turn his back on us. All our sins are blotted out. They've been taken away. The end of verse 13, it says, Having forgiven you all trespasses. You might say, well, I really did some bad things. and Yeah, they were all taken away. All trespasses. Every time you stepped over the line, broke God's law, that's all been taken off your record. It was put on the record of Jesus He paid it all. Your record now is the record of righteousness. As if you kept all the law and never made a mistake and never sinned. That's what your record looks like. So when God looks at your record, He says, this is a perfect person. I declare you righteous. Because the righteousness of Christ was imputed to your record. Put on your account. Your sins were put on His account. His righteousness was put on your account. There was a great exchange. When he nailed your sins to the cross, he took your debt away. When you believed, his righteousness was put on your account. It's almost too much to grasp, isn't it? What he did for us. All right, just look at uh, verse 10. And following, verse 10 says, And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Why does Paul say believers are complete in Christ? So important. First, As Jesus is the perfect Savior for sinners, remember, verse 9 said, in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's God. Perfect Savior for sinners. And secondly, we're complete in Christ because not any part of salvation was left up to us. If it had been, 
we would not be complete in Christ. We would have messed it up, right? You say, well, didn't I believe and didn't I do this? And didn't yeah. If God saved you, you believe, that's for sure. But that faith was a gift that he gave you. And he enabled you to believe. Nothing that we did added to our being complete in Christ. It was all Christ. It is all of God. Justification, sanctification, glorification are due to the divine grace and power of God working in helpless sinners to save and sustain and take to heaven one day. You can see this in verses 11 through 13. This is why we're completing Christ. And, and as you look through this, these few verses, you'll see it was all of God. Verse 11 says, In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, putting off the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Circumcision here is spiritual circumcision, not physical. He says without hands, that means it's spiritual. It's, it's a reference to regeneration. This, this, what he's talking about here in Colossians 2, 11 and 12. He's talking about regeneration. The Holy Spirit's work in changing the heart. Giving you a new heart or a new nature. The divine nature. We become partakers of the divine nature as the Holy Spirit puts that in us. And when that happens, when the Holy Spirit regenerates the heart, the power of the sinful nature is broken. So it does not dominate anymore. He says in verse 11 that when this regeneration takes place, this spiritual circumcision, that there's a removing or the stripping off of the sins of the flesh. So in our body, before we're saved, the body is the place where sin takes place. Physically, spiritually, mentally. The body is controlled by the sinful nature. When the new birth takes place, the bondage to that sinful nature is broken. You are no longer under the dominion of sin at that point. And your physical body now cannot be used for sin unless you let it. You have the ability to say, I will not do that. I will not look at that. I will not think that way. I will not hate my neighbor. You have the power. If you're a believer, you have the power. We won't, have it per- we won't get it perfectly, but we have the power now to not let sin have dominion over us. For we're not under the law, but we're under grace. Romans 6.14 says. Okay, verse 12, he says, Buried with him in baptism, in which you are risen with him through faith, in the working of God who has raised him from the dead. Again, this is spiritual baptism, very similar to Romans 6. You're buried with him in baptism. It's spiritual baptism, regeneration. 
He says, you are risen with him through faith in the working of God. Faith is a gift of God. God uses faith. Your faith does not save you. Amen? Amen. Your faith is the instrument God uses to unite you to Jesus Christ. Jesus saves you. And that's the instrument he uses. You hear the word of God. God opens your eyes. Gives you the ability to believe. And you believe in Jesus. He's the object of your faith. You're saved right then and there. And in verse 13, we just learn of our helplessness. And Paul says, You being dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, we were spiritually dead in sins. The uncircumcision of your flesh is a reference to the people in Coloss. They were Gentiles. Did not have the scriptures prior to Paul preaching there. They didn't have the privilege of the Jews, so they're considered uncircumcised. He said, you were dead, you were Gentiles, you didn't have all the privileges, but when you heard the word, you believed. You were made alive together with him. That's regeneration. That's union with Christ by the Holy Spirit's power and the benefit of that for us having forgiven you all trespasses. All forgiveness. You've been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And you say, what about sins I, I haven't even committed yet? It's all been taken care of. Amen? Future sins. We have a lot more sins to do. Not because we're trying to sin, but because we are in these mortal bodies Even the good things we do, we don't do perfectly. Just the way it is. Sins of omission. Oh, I forgot to do something. You you weren't like maliciously trying not to study your Bible, but I got caught up in things. I couldn't do it. I I forgot to return the thing my neighbor lent me, and that was bad, but sins of omission, sins of commission, whatever they are in the future, Jesus paid for every one of them. Well, how bad can I be and still go to heaven? That's a bad question. But you might kill somebody. You might commit adultery. But if you're his, you'll never be lost. Jesus paid it all. There's some bad people in the Bible who were Christians, did a lot of bad things. Amen? King David and uh, even some of the other people. They lost their fellowship. They, they, they broke the fellowship with God, but they didn't lose their salvation. There is no losing of salvation for God's children. When he says he, he grants you eternal life, that means forever. So remember this as we partake in the Lord's Supper. We were dead. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus died for us. We came into this world, we were dead in our sins. And that one day, he came into your life, whatever your particular circumstance was, wherever you were, you heard the word, you read the word, the word of God finally made sense to you, and your eyes were opened. 
by divine grace, and you believed in the Lord Jesus. You went from death to life. You went from being a sinner to being a saint, all because God loved you and sent Jesus to pay your sin debt. So verse 10 again is a glorious verse. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. He's the head of all the angelic beings. And God didn't have a plan of salvation for the angels. They weren't made in his image. But he had a great plan for human beings. Whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Jesus is God. He came down from heaven, took on human flesh. So he's 100% divine and 100% human in one person. He's the perfect Savior for sinners because he lived the perfect life. That in itself should make us stand in awe. Jesus never did anything wrong. Did you ever have like an hour when you didn't do anything wrong? (laughs) Not me. He never said a wrong word. And even when people were persecuting him and injuring him, he never had a wrong thought. He led the perfect life. He died as our substitute. He resurrected to prove that he satisfied all of God's righteous requirements. If Jesus had faltered on one of God's righteous requirements, he would not have been raised from the dead. He would have been in the grave and we wouldn't be saved. He satisfied God's justice. He sent the Spirit to regenerate us. He sustains us through our Christian life. He prays for us. Why does He pray for us? So we don't fall away. So we can be successful Christians. He prays for us. And one day, when He returns, He will put the final phase of His redemptive work on us. When he returns, there will be a great resurrection of all the believers throughout the ages. They will be raised up, and each one will receive a glorified body. Amen. Amen. (laughs) The old people are saying amen. (laughs) The body that will not only never deteriorate, it will never sin again. Perfect, righteous, holy body, just like the body of Jesus. That day is coming. Whoever believes in Jesus is complete. In other words, there's nothing left to do to try to get to heaven. It's all been done. It's been handed to us as a gift. And you say, well, what about sanctification? Don't we have a part in that? Amen. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But who's behind the sanctifying process? God. It's only by grace that we're sanctified. You say, well, I read my Bible and I pray, and I go to church as much as I can, don't don't I do that? Yeah, you did that. Who gave you the grace to be able to do that? 
the Lord. He's going to get all the credit, not us. Now, he'll, he'll deal some rewards out to those who loved him and, and had the right motive, trying to glorify him in everything. But he's responsible for glorification, justification, sanctification, everything. It's all of the Lord. That's why we're complete in him. There's nothing left to do. It's been done for us. Our sanctifying process, going through the Christian life, you know what I see that as? A way of saying, thank you for saving my soul, Lord. I do this because I thank you so much that you didn't pass over me, leave me in my sins to go to hell one day. You stopped at me and said, I want him. I want him. I want him. I want you. I want you. And he chose the ones he wanted. The others he passed over. In his infinite wisdom for his glory, he chose you, you, all who believe, he chose you. You're complete in him. He's loved you from eternity past. He loves you now. He will always love you in eternity future because he sent his son to pay the debt. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a Savior. Shall we pray? Our dear Lord, our great God, thank you, Lord, for so much blessing. How can we thank you enough, Lord? for this wonderful, wonderful gift of eternal life, for those who deserve to be face-to-face with the wrath of God for all eternity. And you plucked us out of the fire as a firebrand and had mercy upon us, Lord. We deserve the very opposite of mercy. And you gave us that which we didn't deserve, eternal life. So we thank you and pray as we as we partake of the Lord's Supper, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts. Help us to stand in awe of all that you've done through your Son. All the pain he had to endure. The cross, the nails, everything, Lord, for us. We pray that you'll just bring to our remembrance the great love of Jesus. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. You've made us rich in righteousness, in joy, in salvation. Thank you, Lord. Bless our time as we partake in Jesus' name. Amen.